Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming forth from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Good to be back with you uh, then this morning. And what a great book to be studying, the book of Philippians. I, I take it that you've been doing this for quite a few weeks now. And my job is to pick up this second part of chapter 2, or the middle part of chapter 2. And we're going to look at that shortly. I'm sure you've already discovered that this is one of Paul's prison epistles. He's writing from prison. He's in a very difficult situation. And yet his letter is full of joy. It's characterized by joy. He writes to this little church, a very young church, as we've been reminded by their chairman today, new in the faith, confident, however, of the fact that God who began a good work in them is going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's excited about the prospects for that church as well. And I guess we should be excited about the prospects for every church, shouldn't we? Because the church is not our doing. The church is not Paul's doing. The church is not something that we manage or that we manufacture. It's not a club. It's something that God does. And he does it through the Lord Jesus Christ who promised that he would build his church. He would build his church. And the gates of hell would not even prevail against it. So this little church at Philippi was an exciting place to be. You remember back in Acts chapter 16, the story of how it came to be uh, with Paul in prison. Uh, together with Silas and then released and the uh, Lydia and the slave girl and the Philippian jailer in their home uh, and his household beginning that small church there. It's an exciting story. Uh, and here we have the, the letter that Paul later writes. It's a very interesting letter because it differs from many of the other letters that Paul writes to new churches that he was responsible for establishing. And it differs in this way. That although there is great thanksgiving at the beginning of the letter, there is no place in this letter where Paul is correcting their doctrine, which was often the case uh, in these early letters, where maybe they were believing the wrong things, and by believing the wrong things, they were being led astray into wrong, wrong behavior. But actually, the Apostle Paul doesn't do that in this letter. It stands apart in that sense. It's more like a letter of exhortation and encouragement to keep on in the Christian faith and to to live out live out the gospel from day to day. So there's not too much to correct in the way of doctrine. And yet in the way of behavior, there are things to be corrected. He he discovers that this group of people, new people being gathered from different backgrounds, a businesswoman, a slave girl, a jailer, all sorts of people from all different backgrounds are suddenly thrust together in this new community, the community of God's people. And actually, surprise, surprise, it seems they're having some difficulty 
in getting along together. That would never happen at Fernie Hill, would it? No, I'm sure that doesn't happen. Uh, but this is one of the striking things about this letter. In particular, I was noticing it as I came to this section, and I was helpfully given this title, Shining in the Darkness. Shining in the Darkness. But as we read the section, as we hear Rachel reading, as, reading it to us today, I wonder what you heard. Did you hear it was just about you shining in the darkness? Because if you heard that, you needed to hear the Glaswegian version. Because it's all about yous. It's all yous. Every single you that happens in this passage is a you that reminds us of togetherness. Togetherness. Paul is writing to them to say not that you and you and you and you should shine like stars in the universe, but the you collectively as the people of God must shine like stars in the universe if truly you are going to be known as Christians. So today I want to consider with you the idea that this title, uh, Shining Together in the Darkness, is actually a very difficult thing for us to do. It presents great challenges to us. The first challenge, of course, is the darkness with which we struggle. Our our immediate thinking, I'm sure, goes to the darkness that surrounds us. And indeed, Paul himself uh, speaks about this crooked and this warped uh, generation in which we live. A generation of darkness. Uh, As we've been reminded, we don't need to look too long at our news programs or, or to follow our Twitter feed, and we just see how dark our world is around us. And if you're like me, as a, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, you long for something better. You long for the inbreaking of God's kingdom, for His rule and reign to be seen in greater measure in our day to day. And so, we struggle with the darkness. But it would be wrong of us, I think, to think that darkness just lies outside of our present realm our present situation. For if you're anything like me, I find that that darkness tends to invade. That darkness comes towards me. That darkness threatens the light. Of course, the light can never be overcome by the darkness. Praise God for that. But that doesn't mean to say that the darkness doesn't encroach and that there are places of shadow and there are places where we're not allowing the light to shine as brightly as it ought And so there's a real area of struggle here, this question of darkness. And how do we as believers shine brightly for the Lord? That's really part of what we're thinking about today. But togetherness is another struggle, isn't it? Togetherness. If only we could just live on our own and not have people bothering us. You ever feel like that at times? People can be so burdensome. So irritating, so annoying. We have all sorts of reasons for being on our own. Maybe you're the kind of person that enjoys other people. Maybe you enjoy other people. But even people who enjoy other people at times just want a break. You know, give me peace. Yeah. When I said that to my mother, she usually gave me two slices of bread with jam in the middle. But, uh, yeah, sometimes we just long for a break, don't we? Togetherness can be tiring. It can be demanding. And that makes it a struggle for us. And the third thing that's, uh, that's a, a trouble for me anyway is this idea of shining. 
shining, radiating the light of Christ in and through our lives. Sometimes that's easy on a Sunday. Maybe it's not so easy on your Sunday. I don't know. But sometimes that's easy on a Sunday. Or when we're with other Christians. Or in particular circumstances where we are up and where we are alive and where we feel like things are going for us. Oh, we can shine then. But there are other times when shining becomes very difficult, doesn't it? And I just want us to think about some of these things this morning. Three persistent challenges. I called them persistent challenges because if these were challenges for the people of Philippi, the challenges for us today. And if the Word of God has something to say to them in their situation, then surely it has something to say to us in our situation today so that we might be people who don't live in the darkness, people who operate together as the collective people of God and people who in that testimony shine brightly in every circumstance and in every situation that the Lord takes us through. So I want to think about this idea of attitude today. I think it's right at the heart of the Philippian letter. Uh, the attitude that is front and foremost in the Philippian correspondence is covered for us in this little song. It's maybe a, an early Christian hymn that says, your attitude, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Here is the benchmark. Here's the place at which we measure ourselves. Not measuring ourselves against one another. Oh, well, I'm better than him. I'm not, I'm not short-tempered as her. Or I'm not a gossip like her. And I'm not, you know, arrogant like him. Whatever it may be, that's not the measure. Here's the bar. Here's the bar. Your attitude, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And I think that marks the whole letter. Because chapter after chapter after chapter, only four, <laughs> but chapter after chapter, Paul brings the Philippians and asks them that question. Where do you stand in regard to Christ? How does your behavior look in regard to Christ? And so that sets the bar very high for us indeed. And here we have it at the beginning uh, of, this, uh, of this section. As we come together uh, around verse 12, we're reminded, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but also much more in my absence, continue, continue, continue to obey. Continue to obey. Maybe you're obeying already, that's great. But there is a call to obey here, a call to obedience. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ was obedient. You, you remember the hymn, don't you? I'm sure you do. Maybe we should read it again. I'm not sure. Do we have time? Maybe not. We'll go back and think about that hymn, about the way that he was obedient to the Father. Obedient even unto death. Even death on a cross. There's obedience. Complete and utter obedience. Mod modeled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this section that we're reading together is connected very firmly to that with the, with the word, Therefore. In light of his obedience, you should also be obedient. There's the connection for us. Obedience is not something that is highly favored, is it? We, we, we from our childhood, tend towards disobedience. Tend towards disobedience. I remember on one occasion being in a park in Glasgow, in the north side of the city. It was pristine. Uh, it was part of the display parks, one of the display parks in north of Glasgow. And I was sitting there one day having my lunch um, on a bench and the park was very quiet. And as I sat there, one young lad came in 
to the park. He would have been about 16 or 17, I guess. And uh, he looked and there was a little sign on the side of the grass and it said, do not step on the grass. And nobody stepped on the grass. Everyone walked around the footpath. But this young lad came into the entrance and it was right there in front of him. And he looked at it and he, he looked to the left and he looked to the right. And clearly he didn't see me. He didn't look up. But he looked at the sign and he went over to the grass and he just did that. And then he walked down the path. <laughs> we're not, we're not oriented towards obedience, are we? We're oriented towards disobedience. Disobedience. And sometimes that feels like there's a rod. It feels like it's a, you know, a, a, a hard thing to do. And there's punishment if you don't. But look at the language that's used here. Dear friends, my dear friends, what an appeal on the part of Paul. This isn't a rod. This is an arm that goes around your shoulder and says, come on, get on the right track. Get on the right road. It's born out of love. It's 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 an obedience that comes out of love. Undoubtedly love for Paul. They loved Paul. But not just for Paul, is it? They are called the beloved. That's a great word. In another translation, they're called the beloved. Therefore, my beloved, says Paul, beloved of God. God loves them. God has demonstrated his love to them in ways that Paul could never have demonstrated his love. For Christ died for them. He was obedient unto death, even death on a cross for them. There's love. Now, what's your response to that love? That's really the question. (laughs) Can we help but obey in light of that great love? Yes, they were Paul's friends, but they were Jesus' friends. Maybe you'll remember these words from John chapter 14. Let me just read them to you uh, very quickly. John chapter 14 um, and verse 21. Where Jesus speaks to his disciples and he calls them friends. And what's the context there? He says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. There's a call to obedience here. And I guess that calls for each of us to measure our lives and ask ourselves, do, are we obeying as we began? It's easy for us to drift in the Christian life. It's easy for us to know the right things to do and know the right things to believe, but actually we can easily miss the outcomes of a life that is obedient. I'm going to think about that a little more later, but there is this call to keep working at your salvation. Keep working at your salvation. This is a tricky little section here because it sounds like maybe we are to do something in order to achieve salvation. That we are to be obedient and then if we are really obedient, Jesus will love us and we'll be accepted. No, 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 stop, stop. 
That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. We are accepted entirely by faith through grace given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is very clear in the scriptures. And yet there is a responsibility that remains on our part to keep following, to keep working. Working at, you might say, rather than working out. Not working it out. And again, it's interesting that the language here is not for about you doing it on your own. No, it's not. It's you collectively. You collectively are to work out your salvation. To be working at your salvation day by day. As you meet together, as you support one another, as you encourage one another, as you rebuke one another, as you guide one another, as you love one another, all of that is to keep coming as you first obeyed, continue to obey, working out your salvation. And yet, isn't it important for us both individually and as churches to do this kind of spiritual health check from time to time to ensure that we are in the way? They were known as followers of the way in the New Testament. Are we still in the way of following Christ? Maybe today the Lord's challenging you to think about some area where you're being disobedient, where he's calling you again to demonstrate your love for him, your true love for him, by turning that around and in the power of his spirit, being able to do that. You see, belief and behavior sound like great twin pillars of faith that are important and I would uphold them and encourage people to think about believing the right thing so that you behave the right way. Absolutely. Yet I discovered, personally I discovered a time in my life where I was believing the right things with my head, where I was behaving the right way in front of other people, but my heart was dry, my, my, my desire was gone and I was in a desert place. And what was missing? A forgetfulness about the fact that this can only ever be achieved. Obedience to Christ and love for Christ can only ever be achieved in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, we are dead. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit brings light. The Spirit is the one, the divine energy, one of the commentators calls them. The divine energy that is required and supplied by the Lord so that we might be people who can live for Christ in full obedience, demonstrating our love for him. So I, I, I plead with you to seek the fullness of the Spirit today. Because as we seek that full energy, you know, with all his energy at work in us, then we will be able to live for him. Otherwise, it's just empty religion. Just like a box. Nothing in it. It must be the life of Christ that is in us and living through us in the power of his spirit day by day. And when that happens, then we are assured of God's good purpose in us. We are assured that we're walking in the way. We are assured that we are headed towards the heavenly Jerusalem. We know that we are walking with Christ. We know that we are walking with God's people. Our lights begin to radiate, not us, but to radiate Christ. And we start to see that. And God's good purpose begins to be worked out in our lives. The, the good works which he has prepared beforehand for us to do. So there's an, a change in attitudes. Another change in attitude is a correction to the conduct. I love how Paul gets it right down to the nitty gritty, doesn't he? He's not prepared to just let it go with that kind of general. Well, people, you need to love more. You need to obey more. You know, that's all quite nice. He says, okay, stop grumbling. Oh, 
Stop complaining. Paul knows as well, doesn't he? He knows us too well. Uh, it's interesting. We've got this kind of uh, exhortation here that it's a negative thing. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Many times the commandments come in that kind of way. Don't do this. Don't do the next thing. Don't do this. Because we need that kind of correction in our lives. I wonder what you complain about. I, I am challenged by this regularly. My, my life in Africa uh, for 17 years, I think, swept away large parts of my complaining spirit. Because I discovered how the other half live. And I don't care who you are in this place today, but you are vastly, vastly better off than a huge percentage of the population of the world. Vastly. You're probably in the top 10% of the most well-off and best-blessed people in the world today. 10%, 1 in 10. It's devastating. What are you complaining about? What are you grumbling about? And this is a big challenge, isn't it? Because it's so easy. We slip into this very, very quickly. Yeah. And we can record. I did that for my wife once. She was laughing at your story because I did it with my wife once. And uh, I spilt something in the carpet when we were just newly married. And at the time I had a, a cassette tape recorder, which was just handy. And she went off to go and get a cloth or something to, and she was, burp, 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 and I just hit record. <laughs> and she came back in and, duh, 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 duh. and then later I played it back to her. I can't believe you did that. That was terrible. I said, well, I can't believe you said it. <laughs> we all do it. We all do it. But there's the correction. Let's watch our lips. Let's watch the attitudes of our hearts because it's easy for us to fall into this. It's interesting, I think Paul's maybe drawing on some of the Old Testament stories here, you know, the people of Israel who were murmuring and grumbling against Moses and so on and so forth. You can go and read these uh, stories for yourself. But the word that's used here is a broad word which includes things like whispering, almost like a gossiping. It's a, a kind of sullen discontent. Are you that kind of person? Eh? You're always moaning, big long face. It's just not how I would like it. No, no, no space for that in the Christian life. We want to be clear that there's no complaining or argument. Nothing driven by our own self-conceit or self-interest or a party spirit. I don't mean party as in party, but as in division, eh? Because it's a call to, it's a call to togetherness. You see? And so your own interests have to be set aside. That's the beginning of the chapter. Set aside your own interests. Look to the interests of others. When you're looking to the interests of others, you won't be complaining. You'll be looking to serve them and to serve them well. There's two words here that are important words, blamelessness and purity. And I think both of these words need attention in our church lives, uh, the lives of our churches these days. Um, the need for blamelessness. Paul is not calling the Christians here to be sinless or suggesting that they are sinless in any way. But there's a place for blamelessness. There's a place where we can live life and where people will not be able to point the finger at us for something that is done wrong, said wrong, thought wrong. There's a place for us to be able to live holy lives. Holy lives. You don't hear much preaching on this today. 
holiness of life, I don't think. But this is our calling as Christians. If we are to be like Christ, if we are to be obey, to obey as Christ obeyed, then our lives also must be completely dedicated to doing the will of the Father. That's, that's the orientation of Jesus' life. And, you know, it's easy for us to announce grace and forgiveness and love. And all of these are true. And I wouldn't want for a moment to minimize any of these great doctrinal truths. But there is a danger for us that we minimize other doctrinal truth. And therefore end up with cheap grace. You are called to holiness, my Christian friend. You are called to blamelessness. Can your life be put under the microscope? Can you be examined? And found to be doing that which is right. Living a life of righteousness. That's a challenge. You see, purity is what it's called for here. Purity. And when we're living in a world that is marked by darkness and it's encroaching upon us, then we need to be careful about blamelessness and purity in our lives. Isn't it interesting that this is the positive call? Sometimes we see this as a negative thing. Oh, he's calling me to be blameless. How am I ever going to do that? But no, this is something to set in front of us and to pursue. Something that we pursue. We rush after it. Rush after blamelessness. Delight in being God's holy people. Individually and collectively. There's things that go here, maybe beyond accusation, that's the idea. But there's that brilliant, um, uh, the, the beatitude, isn't it? Blessed are those who are sons of God. Yeah? Blessed, let me get it right. <laughs> Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall be called children of God. There we are, got it right eventually. Hmm? Blessed are those who are pure in heart, because they will be called children of God. There is blessing to be found in pursuing holy life. It's not a negative. It's not, oh, I've got to be holy here. There's something to be celebrated there. Something to delight in as we live before the Lord. And this is a call really to avoid the darkness of corruption and depravity uh, that surround us. I think just about all of us have one of these nowadays, haven't we? You got one of these? Fantastic tool. Fantastic tool. Dangerous weapon. Dangerous weapon of the enemy. You don't need to flick very many pages in this to discover yourself in some deep darkness. Let's be children of the light. Let's be children of God. Blameless and pure. Let's try to be like that. A correction needed in our conduct. Lastly, then, as we bring things to a close, our attitude should be a commitment to shine. A commitment to shine. We are to be people of the word of life. This word of life is so important. This word that we, that we read, that we base our lives upon, that is pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word. Uh, we need to be people who are people of the word. The word is so important because the word brings life. The word brings life. Right from the beginning of the book of Genesis, we discover that the word brings light and the word brings life in the creation story. God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
And we know that without light, life cannot exist. And the story goes on to continue uh, expressing something of the importance of light and life uh, throughout that great story. The Apostle Paul reminds us of the fact that that actually is a pointer towards our towards our uh, spiritual life as well. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He talks about this idea that we are like jars of clay. We need to be broken people, broken jars of clay that allow the light to shine out from us, to radiate. So this is not a putting your light under a bushel. That was the jar of clay, wasn't it? But this is a broken vessel. It's a broken vessel or a, a, ve- a vessel that has cracks in it that allows the light to shine forth so that people see that there's Christ in us. We may look alike in many ways as human beings, and yet we have the light of Christ, the word of Christ that has caused his light to shine in our hearts. So we are called to be that people today. I hope that as you go from this place, this light, this transformation that is happening in your light, your life will cause you to radiate Christ as you go from this place uh, today to offer the light of the gospel of Christ to all, that they may see it and partake of it as well. Paul reminds us towards the end of this section we've been looking at in Philippians that there's great sacrifice in Christian life and ministry. He talks about being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of service. And it's just a reminder of the fact that Christian life is not a life of ease. It's not a life of sitting back and waiting till Jesus comes although we're looking forward to that. But rather there's a a giving of oneself in following Jesus and obeying Jesus, having that attitude, it should be the same attitude. A life laid down for others. Jesus himself said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. We can't do the ransom for many, but we can do all the rest of it uh, as Jesus gives us that example. Um, from his own life. And of course, one of the other big features, as I mentioned at the beginning in this amazing little letter of Philippians, uh, is the joy. It's the joy that comes through in this great, uh, this great epistle. When we know the Lord, when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and giving us that divine energy that I mentioned earlier, when we are understanding something of what God's doing in our life and what he's doing through our lives, then joy overflows and gladness becomes the feature of our lives. We start to recognize one another that, yeah, I can see the light in you. I can see the word in you. I can see God's spirit at work in you. We recognize that in one another and affirm one another and draw together as we're taught elsewhere in scriptures in the scriptures, as that body of Christ, united in purpose, together, shining in the darkness. There's the kind of image that we're trying to get here, I think, as Paul exhorts the Corinthians. And we live then to serve the king. And isn't it an amazing idea that in the end of this little section, there's reward. That's another area that we don't hear much preaching about uh, nowadays. But his reward is coming. You know, so on that day, Paul's looking forward to that day, that final day, when we'll be called each one of us to give account for our lives. On that day, I'll not be ashamed, but I'll receive the reward that God has promised to me.
Of course, there's reward in the here and now, isn't there? That's what I was saying earlier. The joy and the satisfaction and the, the, the delight of living pure and blameless lives. That's fantastic. But also there's a future reward that's coming as we stand before the great king. And he gives us his word. Well done, good and faithful servant. So I hope some of these ideas just help to help you to, to deal with some of these challenges that we've been thinking about. The darkness. Darkness is overcome by light. Is the light shining brightly? This little light of mine. Is it shining brightly? Are we together? Are we together? Are we united together as God's people? What do we need to do to sort that? How can we recognize Christ in one another? And see his light shining in one another? Setting aside our differences. Our upsets or whatever it may be that's blocking that how can we be reunited as god's people so that together so that together we shine that's really important and shining by spirit empowered lives of sacrifice and service yeah there may be some things you need to give up today some things you need to let go of today maybe grievances you've been holding maybe sin secret sin that you're nurturing but God's calling us to be people like Christ. Be like Christ. Be obedient like Christ. If you're truly a follower of his, then that's your calling. And we'll see that working out in your life as the Spirit gives you power from day to day. Thank you for listening. May God bless you as you continue to think on shining in the darkness together. Amen.